Welcome to Dugout Therapy, a baseball podcast about the mental game built by Coach Crates. If you're looking to succeed both on and off the field, this is the place for you. Baseball is a failing game statistically, uh, unless you're a really good pitcher. Uh, <laughs> but if you're if you're a hitter, I mean, the odds are stacked against you, and you're going to fail more than uh, you're going to succeed, especially uh, as you get ho- as you get older. So it's those players that go over three that fourth at bat is just as solid as their first at bat. You know, it's those players that are in an zero for ten skid, but that. Those 10 at-bats, they're still finding, you know, five to six barrels. Like, that's what coaches look for. Coaches want to see, at least at the college level, if you boot a ball, let me go see what that next at-bat is in, in, you know, the the bottom frame of the inning or whatnot, right? Are you going to let it compound and take three pitches, right, and let things kind of get out of control? Or are you just going to flush it, realize that's in the past, and then you're going to have a really good competitive at-bat? Hey, fellas. Welcome to another installment of Dugout Therapy. This is Quinn. I'm here with Dave. We're talking baseball on this podcast. We got Chris Susek on the episode. Really fun, insightful interview. Great conversation. He's a great guy. Played a lot of D1 ball, both at Coastal Carolina and Rutgers. It was really awesome having him on. Uh, what, What did you learn talking to Chris, Dave? Hey, what's up? Dave here. Um, it was really great. A lot of good stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like the just the conversation we got into was was high level, but also relatable for for coaches at at a, at a young level as well. How do you deal with certain situations? How do you know? Do you keep that that player from you know spiraling downward in a slump or whatever? talk about a lot of different things a lot of mental game stuff that can help at any level and he has some really good insight you know from his experience so it was cool yeah and he was a really humble guy it seemed like you oh know, yeah he, he was two-time high school state champion at 100 and central mm-hmm. like before he was even a junior in high school yeah, like if if that was me i would have been cocky strutting around shoulders <laughs> out calling my shot like the babe <laughs> but he he seemed to really be cool, you know. Even, yeah. Even when he was a really talented ball player. Yeah, and then he goes, you know, to Coastal, and I think that I I I would probably say his experience at Coastal he probably humbled him quite a bit. The reality. Uh, yeah, I mean the way he talked about kind of that program and and Gary Gilmore, it, not yeah. everyone could do that. Who so can't? yeah, I I think his experience is really cool. Um, he, he talks, uh, down a little bit of Hana, I think his, his game, but he's a lot better than he makes himself sound. Oh, yeah. He was a really good player, played at a really high level. So captain at Rutgers, we didn't even mention that. Yeah. He, uh, is a really cool one guys. Uh, definitely listen up, take notes, some really good stuff in here. So I want to pivot to coach crates marketing. So I've kind of little, little shameless plug here, but yeah, we got yeah, throw Coach Crates, in. the number one baseball subscription it. box in America, let alone the world. Yeah, you know. oh, we're getting there. Guatemalans, maybe or, order the crate. I don't know. We're working on that international shipments and stuff like that. But yeah, are you really? Yeah, he nodded. Yeah, it's happening. So 
as uh, a member of this podcast, I have kind of dubbed myself a guerrilla marketing guy for Coach Crates, which basically means I've been taking stickers that Dave has given me and I've been slapping them on areas of high traffic so people <laughs> could see them and get get the word out, you know. So this past weekend, I went to PNC Park in Pittsburgh for a Pirates-Reds game. Got tickets like two months ago for, for my girlfriend and I. We sit down and literally right to my right, my left, that is, is the right field foul pole. I was sitting directly next to front row, the right field foul pole. That's big time. That's big time. Big time, right? And I had a Coach Crate sticker in my pocket. I'm looking around, scanning security, seeing what's up. It's a naked foul pole. There are no stickers, surprisingly. By about the third inning, everyone was relaxed. You know, the the ushers kind of were meandering away from me. I go to slap it right on in in front so the cameras would see it if somebody hits a home run like in front not not so i kind of made made it known that i was going to do some graffiti of some sorts and then uh an usher caught me and uh, uh made me remove the sticker from, uh, from the pole so I hate to hear it i thought this story was gonna end with <laughs> The sticker is on the foul pole at PNC Park, and now you crush my dreams. Yep. I really <laughs> apologize. I, I really should have done it a little bit more discreetly, but I let you down, Dave. Hey. Won't happen again. There's a moral of this story. If you want to help coaches and help players get better, hit us up on Instagram. We have brand ambassadors. Uh, a brand ambassador program we do on Instagram uh, to get more involved, to get swag, get Coach Crates gear, and and get the word out there. We want to grow and and get as many coaches involved and grow this community and and help as many coaches and players as we can. So, um, if you want to get more involved, go to our contact us page at www.coachcrates.com or message us on Instagram. And uh, we'll be happy to provide some more info on how to get involved. But thanks, guys. We'll send you a sleeve of stickers, and then you can start being a, a guerrilla marketing expert like myself. Yeah, just try to put them on places where they stay up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, that didn't work out for me. But uh, here, here's our interview with Chris Susek. Really great interview once again. And uh, we were really lucky to have him. So here he is. Chris, uh me and Quinn really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, super excited to talk with you about, you know, your playing days in college, your playing days in high school, and, and now the other side of the coin, uh, coaching. So um, me and Quinn have been brainstorming some cool questions for you and, and, and looking forward to, to getting underway here. Yeah, Perfect. Really excited. Yeah, no, Dave. Quinn, I appreciate you guys having me on. Let's uh, let's get this thing rolling. Um, so I guess the easiest place to start is kind of give our listeners a little background on you and uh, your baseball story, and we'll go from there. Perfect. Yeah, again, so so Chris Susek. Uh, so I was born and raised here in Flemington, New Jersey, so, so in the tri-state area my whole life. Um, I grew up playing 
ball here in Flemington uh, with a lot of buddies of mine. Went on to play at Hunter and Central High School, which is a pretty big um, public school uh, here in New Jersey. And then after uh, Hunter and Central, I went on to play at Coastal Carolina for two years. And then I transferred uh, back home, so back to Jersey, and finished up my baseball career um, here at Rutgers. So I played a lot of sports throughout my life, but baseball was definitely my favorite sport. I love the banter of the game. I love the challenge of it. It's always been uh, a grueling sport, uh, of course, for anybody who have played it. But oh, again, yeah. it's just something you love playing, especially all summer and whatnot. And, um, and and I'm lucky enough to stay around the game, so I'm still really involved. I coach a youth team um, here at a baseball academy called Diamond Nation. So the New Jersey Diamond mm-hmm. Jacks is something I'm still around. So coaching um, a 14U team here in the fall and then this past summer, I coached 11 years. So that's a quick uh, tidbit nice. intro of, of baseball and, and how it's been um, part of my life. Yeah, ever, ever since I can remember. So before we get into your college career, you obviously mentioned Hundred Central. That's a very notorious, historically great baseball high school. You were a two-time state champion in your underclassmen years. Yep, yep. So my um, my freshman and sophomore year. Yeah, at Central. What was that like uh, being at such a young age, being on a team that had so much success? Uh, did that kind of get you too high, get get you uh, a little messed up mentally? Uh, no, you know, you, you don't really think about it when you're young. Um, you know, Central is really competitive, not just across baseballs, but a lot of sports. So, again, it's a really big public school. We were just really obsessed uh, with baseball. We loved representing what high school we were at. Um, again, you, you hear about a lot of the private schools around the state and, and you kind of put an edge to your ear, you put a chip on your shoulder. I'm sorry. Um, and yeah, we, we just love the game. And, and at Central, we were really obsessed with it. We had some good coaches. So in terms of affecting you, no, I, I think it was just, you know, maybe before you go into it, you're a little nervous because you know, again, it, it is a pretty competitive environment, but no, we just loved it. And we were lucky enough to win those two years. And we had some really good upperclassmen um, on the team that kind of carried us. And we were just kind of uh, kind of along for the ride as, as some of those younger guys. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and I think that's great. Even you just saying, I came in a little nervous, like for you guys to have that culture, you know, I uh, going to Phillipsburg, like, I go into baseball my freshman year and it's a complete opposite. No one cared, no one cared about anything. We're on the downturn and I'm like looking for guys to care. And I'm like, so I spent all four of my years at Peabody trying to build that culture. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, it's funny that you say that. I remember a story my freshman year. So it was me and a few buddies. We were trying our best to, uh, to make the varsity team. And, um, mm-hmm. I remember it was probably like the third tryout. I remember the head coach, again, really successful. Um, you know, you go in nervous as a freshman, and he pulls me aside, and he goes, listen, you know, you're not going to make the team this year. And I was like, uh, you know, I was probably in my third tryout or second tryout. And I was like, this can't be right. I was actually uh, playing pretty well. Um, I remember I was hitting the ball all right, and it turns out, that I, I'm walking out of because we were in the gym, we were just hitting indoors, and then the assistant coach comes up to me like as I'm about to walk out the door, he goes, "Oh no, Coach Raymond was just kidding." I was like, Ooh. Oh. Uh, So my heart dropped, and it, I guess it was just a good freshman prank uh, that they played oh, on me. I'll, uh, you along there. Yeah, I'll never forget that. And I guess that that really did loosen up the tone a little bit, uh, just let out the nerves, and 
you know, it's just the same game you always play. It's just with the kids yeah. that are a few years older. But but no, that was just a uh, yeah a one off. But but I'll I'll remember that forever. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I like that outlook too. You know, even through college, if if you can just think about it like a kid's game, sometimes that that will take a lot of pressure off your shoulders. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. So you obviously graduated from Central. You were uh, scouted to play at Coastal Carolina. Can you talk a little bit about uh, playing for such a, a legend of a coach like Gary Gilmore, who's won a thousand wins in D one baseball? You know, he's he's pretty pretty legendary. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it, I I guess that is the best and probably easiest way to put it. He certainly is a legendary <laughs> college coach. Um, I had gone down to Coastal, not the most highly recruited dude. Um, I had a couple kids on my high school that that went south and you know those kids motivated me and I kind of want to see what I could do uh with the best college mm-hmm. players so again I went down there to play for coach Gilmore it was probably the best two years of baseball in terms of just learning the game that I've been ever been around to describe him he's incredibly demanding he's the most relentless competitor I've ever been around and, and you can tell by a lot of the way his guys play down there and then he has a really good coaching staff and they just know how to build a really good culture. And again, they set the highest standard and, and they expect you to hit it. And, and when you don't hit it, they expect you to work as you hard, work as hard as you can. I'm sorry to, to hit it. Um, so yeah. again, unbelievable competitor. He's demanding. I learned so much. I, I can't thank him enough. And, and to bring a school like coastal, my first day there, the facilities, I mean, you just can't stack up to like an sec, a PAC 12, a big 12 school. And he was good enough to bring a, a national championship to that school. So, so if you think about it, it's, it's kind of absurd what yeah. he's done. And he's, he's one of the best to do it, <clears throat> certainly. Yeah, I mean, and uh, you touched upon, I think, the, the culture of a program that, that is able to do that. Um, you want to touch upon maybe a, a little bit there and, and some things that stood out to you uh, culture-wise that he instilled uh, to, to help to lead to that success? Yeah, so so I, I guess in the simplest of terms, the best players for him, at least when I was there, they wanted to run through a wall for him. Now, we wouldn't always That's agree, great. you know, everything that he did. I didn't play every day there. I, I was starting some games my freshman and sophomore year. So, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you're frustrated. You, you maybe disagree with the coach, even though he's right and you're wrong. But I always respected him. And I always knew what he was doing was probably going to lead to wins. You guys alluded to it. He's won a bajillion games down there. So what he's doing probably has worked. And, uh, yeah, he just got his guys to buy in. He didn't go after always the biggest and best recruits because you can't do that at a school like Coastal Carolina. But if you recruit guys who buy in, you can certainly uh, get success. And and that's what he did. He just had a, a lot of guys who wanted to play for him. He was such a player's coach. He always had your back. And that was, uh, yeah, that, that was a culture he, he basically, yeah, I mean, it's still the case down there. Again, his assistant coaches down there are just as good and they bought in too. They can go coach where probably wherever they want. Um, and, and, and they stay there cause they believe in, in Gilly's process and, and what he's done. So, so that the coaches and the players, everybody's all in. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I, th- I think that's probably, one of the biggest challenges for freshmen going at, uh, into a college program because you're thinking 
you know, what, what can I expect? What's the coach going to be like? And there's going to be things, you know, you're going to disagree and agree upon with that coach. But if you respect them enough to buy in and everybody buys in, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong or what's going on. You're all working towards one goal and uh, that can really play to some success there. Yeah, absolutely. Again, when you're, when you're at those big schools, I mean, as I, I wouldn't say cruel, but you know, there, as soon as you get there, you're a freshman, the head coach and their job is to find a replacement for you. Right. They don't know how long you're going to be there. They're going to bring in a ton of good players. Everybody's going to be there for a reason, but they're going to be able to, to keep it in an environment where, where it really is team first, which is really hard to do um, in college, especially at the college level. You've got a lot of kids who are either on scholarship, not on scholarship. Some kids can get drafted. Other kids may never have the chance to. So it's, you know, managing expectations, but, but always, you know, looking ahead and, and making sure everybody's priorities are about the team and not necessarily the individual. And, and that's something he did so well. And so did a lot of other, other guys in, uh, in the college game that, that have success. So you go from Conway, South Carolina to New Brunswick, New Jersey. I'm a fellow Scarlet Knight as well. Yes, a. Yes. Uh, was that a tough transition uh, as, as just a student athlete transfer or was it more of a homecoming for you? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I left Coastal. One, I knew I wasn't going to go to the big leagues, and I knew I probably wanted to either start a professional career, obviously outside of baseball, up back home. So that was big for me. And at Coastal, it was a really demanding schedule, right? You spend a lot of your time on the baseball field, and, and when you're not actually at team practice, you're, you know, you're in the cage or you're lifting, mm-hmm. you're trying to get better. Um, and I had come to the decision that I was spending way too much time not – way too much time with baseball and I wasn't an everyday player at coastal. Um, again, I was only starting probably 15, maybe 20 games a year, my freshman and sophomore year, and then getting, you know, a lot of at bats throughout games and whatnot. So I was getting playing time, but not enough for the commitment that I was giving it. Um, Mm -hmm. so I wanted to go back home to Rutgers. Rutgers had recruited me in high school. Coach Lotario, who was at Rutgers was nice enough to welcome me back home and, and yeah, to your point, it kind of was a homecoming. I love playing at home. My dad played at Rutgers. Uh, I have a lot of people, a lot of family uh, that have gone to Rutgers and supported. So it was an awesome experience for me. The only thing I absolutely hated was that I had to sit out uh, a year. But yeah, that's just the the rules of the NCAA. So it was a uh, yeah, that was the rule. And obviously, you gotta go, you gotta go by it. But no, everything was great, and I loved being at Rutgers. So it was probably the greatest decision I ever made. So the culture uh, change from going to Coastal, it sounded like Gilmore had a fine-tuned machine down there. It was almost like a an organization, almost yeah. like a like a brotherhood. Going to Rutgers, where it is Big Ten ball. I don't know if it was Big Ten when you were there, but um, yeah, was, was there less focus on baseball twenty four seven? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I don't know if it would be less focus. Um, I just think there are different expectations at both schools. So Gilly mm-hmm. was there for years, right? He built a reputation. He's been to regionals. It's been the super regionals. That next step for him was getting to Omaha and winning a national championship, 
when I got to Rutgers, uh, so my my transfer year, so the year I set out, it was the last year in. I think it was the American. Um, but before that, they were historically in the Big East, so they had some good years. And obviously, you got guys like Todd Frazier, David DeJesus, so they did have a few big leaguers. But hmm. my first year playing at Rutgers, we had just joined the Big Ten, right? And Rutgers didn't have the facilities at the time to, to really compete. So so it was just a different expectation of the program, right? We wanted to compete in the Big Ten. We wanted to win games, but it would have been a damn miracle if – we had won the Big Ten, just given where we were at, and Letario was new, so he wasn't able to, to have all of his recruits, um, you know, in the locker room quite yet. So it was certainly a transition period, and we were just as much in love with the game um, of baseball, so that was the same. But, but again, the expectations of both programs were pretty different, so I would say that that was the biggest uh the biggest difference. And then the facilities and the weather, right? I mean, at Coastal, you play all the time. It's beautiful. <laughs> So you don't have to fight Mother Nature. And I remember at Rutgers, I mean, sometimes we played played inner squads and literally inner squads on uh, in the parking lot of the football stadium. So it's like a complete <laughs> – yeah, it's just different. And, again, we had some really, really good players at Rutgers and, and some guys now, um, you know, getting their way up to the big leagues. But I would say, you know, out of the 40 guys, you know, each and every one are competitive at Coastal, right? Rutgers has some, some really good ones just – Probably not as many. <clears throat> yeah. On the and uh, I definitely have played a few games in the snow up here, which is definitely a, a <laughs> yeah, 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 people are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, uh, at Moravian, we we would be shoveling the field sometimes early spring. Like, <laughs> we, did, we would have, we had oh, two maintenance that. workers, I think, there. Uh, you know, D3. When did, you guys, uh, when, when did you guys open up every year? Uh, March. Yeah, it was it was March. We would we'd start too early and always end up getting pushed back two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like the uh yeah, like the high school season. Yeah, no, I know. That's the that's the biggest limitation of uh of baseball in the northeast, but there there's some still good still some good players up here. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, and I can kind of relate as well to to what you're talking about on the, on the Rutgers side. So at Moravian, I came in and we were coming off the best season they had in school history. My freshman year, we tanked, had a bad year. Then it was yeah. like, all right, let's know who we are, what we have. A lot of guys graduated after that year. And we we're like, we got to build some stepping stones here for the the teams that come after us and get everybody back on track. So the expectations were just different. It wasn't, we're, we're not going to, we're not trying to win regionals this year anymore. We're trying to win our conference. We're trying to get back yeah. to playoffs and build the program back up. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, I think it's really a testament to, to, to the good coaches and, you know, whether it's D1, D2, D3, high school, or whatever, right. They find ways to win regardless of their team or their roster, right. If they're rebuilding, they're doing it quickly and they know how to evaluate talent and, and get new guys in. And if mm-hmm. they're going in with expectations, right. With really high expectations, you know, those really good coaches understand how to control their players, make sure, you know, they're controlling everything that they can control and, and really not succumbing to all the hype. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I think that's really, really important for high school because I think once expectations, you know, get a little high for, for high school kids and high school coaches, I think 
you know, that's where you see a ton of, um, I don't really know what the word is, but you know, maybe some inconsistency or, or whatnot, but I, yeah. I, uh, yeah, no, I yeah, can test the cursing. Yeah, yeah. Like almost, uh, the disappointment can kind of pull back and, and affect the team in terms of consistency. Certainly. Um, yeah, yeah that i yeah, we face that a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, good. So like you aforementioned, you are still around baseball. You're coaching at Diamond Nation. You're helping out at Central still. Uh, yeah. Are, are there any things that you learned from from your your time being a collegiate athlete from other coaches that you've uh, kind of that, – that influenced you to, to coach a certain style or even the opposite where, you know, you – you you had a a dispute with a coach you you argued with him and it went you think that that coach went about it the wrong way uh yeah i I would say i don't necessarily um you know have a specific method that i do coach with I, i i think it's so important for coaches to be able to relate to different type of players um you know even just personalities. Um, I, I think that's really important to learn how to, you know, relate to, to a player who's really introverted, who's really quiet. Right. And then yeah. if you're that hoorah-rah coach, maybe you think he's not as passionate, but no, that's really not the case. That's just their makeup. Right. And that's how they go about the game. So, so I think that's something that, that you try and relate to because, because you realize the good coaches um, were able to do that. I, I think, being coachable is so important as well, right? You're not taking it as criticism. The coach is always that, yeah. coaching and instructing you with the intentions of making you a good player. And, and, and the quicker that you can realize that, um, the better player, honestly, you'll be. And, and I think simply player, at least some, something that I learned, right? You, you look back on like, you know, whatever game or whatever play and, and whatnot and, you know, it's even something I carry today, whether it's professionally or, or with the guys I coach, is that you can play bad. Playing bad is fine. You're going to make errors. But w- w- something that can't be tolerated and that you can't teach and that is that you can't be playing scared. You, you can't be mm-hmm. afraid to make a mistake. And, like, there are plays where I think every player goes through it, but some people, you know, don't like to admit it, right? There are plays that I went through in college, you know, where you're hesitant or, or, or you're scared to make a play. So, like, obviously mm-hmm. if I can go back – I would never do that again. And that's something that that I live with now, even with my professional life. Like I can be nervous. That's fine. I can have a bad day. That's fine. But what you can't, you can't do is you can't be scared of either the next opportunity that you get or um, the next chance you get to at least make a play in, in whatever you do. So I would say that that's what I try and relate to a lot of these kids um, that I'm coaching, even you know, whether they're 17 years old or 10 years old, the quicker they can learn how to play the game like that, the better off they'll be. Because you see how these big leaguers play, that's exactly what they're doing. They're just going out, looking to make a play. And if they don't, they're going to be trying again. You know? Yeah, I, I absolutely um, love that. Yeah. I, I think that is enormous, like for all the the listeners out there. If, if there's one takeaway thus far, that one. That's no matter what level you play at, no matter if you're coaching or playing, um, if you can help players get there mentally, 
that's huge. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, you, yeah. I don't know. I, I think back about, you know, earlier in my career and I was like, wow, I, I, I didn't think I was scared at in, in certain situations. Hell yeah, I was. I could have played so much better <laughs> if I loosened up, and it, it was it was something I focused on in college. I think a lot and helped me so much. Like, just you control the controllables. Go out there, play yeah. play as hard as it's you cliche, can. Cliche, but it's so true. Yeah, and do your best. You it's know, so and true. that's how you play. Yeah. Like, you up, like you're a kid, and that's when you play your best. So yeah, no, I can play again. You could play bad. You could strike out you can make an error you can walk a guy on the mound but you can't play scared once mm-hmm. you play scared i think that's really contagious oh yeah and i think that's where a lot of probably younger teams go wrong when i see right all these kids are afraid to make a mistake people are yelling at them god knows what and and it just kind of snowballs into this kind of almost like this pit of misery and that you just can't get out of it um mm-hmm. so I, I would say that's something I try and, and like you just said, you can relate to it and everybody knows games or at bats where they felt scared. The quicker we can rid all of those demons, you know, baseball is going to be a much easier, easier game to play. Oh yeah. I really liked how you touched on not really having a central focused philosophy on dealing with players. Uh, we had Kevin Wilson on of KW baseball who was talking about, he, he has to get to know the player first before he can uh, give him any advice or persuade him to, to try anything new. Uh, and I think that's really important because you, you're, you're kind of saying you, you need to know what type of person he is. You need to get to know him before you, um, you know, influence him in any way. And I think that's really important when you're coaching young guys. I, yeah, I couldn't agree that with that more i mean obviously he's a um you know a very recognized highly renowned hitting consultant and hitting coach and and that's just the simplest and probably the best way to put it um before a coach could, could really understand how to critique and improve a player he's got to understand exactly what he's dealing with and i think that's something i i see all the time too whether it's a hitter has a bad day or a pitcher has a bad, you know, outing or bad inning. It's almost like it's something immediate, like mechanically, like they just saw two or three at bats from this guy. And now all of a sudden they're going to fix his swing. Right. It's like, I I think you really got to see a lot of somebody to, to really be receptive as a coach. Mm -hmm. And just because somebody has a bad game, somebody has a bad at bat, that doesn't immediately mean you just drop everything that you're doing and change the mechanics. I, I, I think he probably knows it better than anybody. Hitting is a grind, right? It's all muscle memory. It's all repetition. And there's no easy fix. And, and I think that's mm-hmm. a big problem that, that kids are dealing with today. It's always like, if I'm struggling, what's wrong with my swing? Right. Or maybe they go ask the coach, <laughs> Exactly. You know, maybe you're just swinging at bad pitches. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe you're just not on time, right? You know, the hitting is primarily all timing. Let's just make sure we're swinging at good pitches. We're on time. And if we're doing both of those things and we're still struggling, then, yeah, let's maybe dive into the mechanics. Uh-huh. And I'm sure Kevin Wilson knows this. He knows all the hitters that he works with. He knows their mechanics. He's just talking about what's in between the years probably with most of them oh, yeah. and how they're going to have, you know, the best approach uh, at bat. I kind of went on a l- little tangent there, but. I think that was no, like, no. That's totally relatable. Really good, you know, uh, yeah. Really good point by 
by Kevin. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's good stuff right there. Um, so often, whether it's in the field, at the plate, if something's going wrong, and and, and this is a whole other topic, you know, don't let the lows get too low, but if you let it yeah. affect you and how you prepared for that game, uh, you know, that series, whatever, and totally derail your your preparation and plan and you start doing right. something completely different, that's when you can get in a real big slump or things start going really downhill. Everything is a process. If you put in the work prior, believe in your process, then you shouldn't be making big mechanical adjustments, you know, when things start going a little bad. This is a game of failure. You gotta you gotta deal with it and uh don't let the lows yep. get too low. So I love that. Yeah, so certainly to kind of echo off that point, I think when you look at players at like the college level and even in high school, like the really good ones, everybody's got a skill set that they're good at. Everybody's there for a reason. I think the really, really good players are just the best ones who know how to make adjustments themselves, right? And and they don't have to rely on, you know, a few different coaches telling them a few different things and, you know, almost kind of playing with roulette, like trying to figure out what exactly is going on. They understand what kind of makes them tick and either why they're hitting the ball this way or or why they keep, you know, missing fastballs that that are in a a really good zone to hit. They're just very good at doing it themselves. And it's so cliche, but in baseball, the best players make the adjustments and, and, you know, the the not-so-good players just let those mistakes compound and and do the – or have the same mistake over and over again, I think – like when you watch big leaguers, that's what makes them so good. They have such a good feel of their approach and their preparation, and they believe in it that as long as you know they're swinging at good pitches and they are on time, they're going to have success. When you start to deviate from that approach and that process, to your point, that's where you can really go into a downward spiral, uh, regardless of the level that you're at. Right, and that's that goes back to not playing scared. You know, knowing yourself, knowing that you. You have it in you to make those adjustments and work on the fly like that. Let, let's go into this past season. It's the dog days of summer now, but I believe you you were coaching at Diamond Nation this past summer. Yeah. Uh, can Can you talk about your experience doing that? Uh, you know, disappointing your players. If you ever had an instance where a uh, you know a player made a bad play and it bled into a few innings, how you uh, how you remedy that? Yeah, so again, I, I think it depends on, on who you're dealing with and, and what exactly the circumstance is. But, you know, you try and instill into the kids that, that you'll never get on them for making an error. That is part of the game. Uh, when you do make an error, though, and, and I see that either the next play that comes at you or the next ground ball that you're fielding in practice, and I see that hesitation and, and I, and I yeah. kind of see that fear of, of making a mistake. That's when, you know, you really start to get on them and you start to be demanding and you start to start to challenge them and tr- try and get them to, yeah, I don't really know how, how, how best to describe it, but, but you just want to challenge your guys and, and you want to be demanding of your guys and you want them to be demanding of you too. I always tell like, ask me questions if if you have a problem with either me getting on you or me yelling at you or why am I saying this why am I saying that if a player you know boots a ball I'll never I'll never be mad at the outcome I, I want to know what the process was of, of how they were about to make the play and then 
you know, if we do boot it, what's the adjustment that we're going to make so so we don't make the same mistake again? Again, there's no like cookie cutter way. I go after, not go after, or, or I or I coach a player in that regard. But I think that's it. Just it's you know, it's never personal. I'm here to get you better, and we need to do everything in our power to to make sure that that we write our mistakes and you know we just improve day by day. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question but like I'm just No, you, you, know, you nailed like it. The, the the best way I can going right along that train of thought there like and and I, and I can agree with you 100% on how I kind of did this year. It it's really you can't really get angry at the mental mistakes. Or I mean uh, the physical mistakes. You can get angry yeah. at the mental mistakes. So they made an error. Okay, Agreed. it's over with. What are you going to do on the next play to get this next play? You're go- you are you going to? If you're scared, you're already beat. If you're going at it 100 yeah. percent and aggressive, then I know you're not making a mental mistake because you're still engaged. You want to do well. You want to get back out there, help your team. So like those are like the mental opportunities that I'm always looking for. How do they bounce back? Um, in situations like that, because that those are those coachable moments. It's like, uh, you know, if if they are scared in that moment, that's when you d- you have to get on them because if they give yeah. up there, they're going to give up five years from now when they have a tough day at work, and and that's <laughs> that's our job. I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna you know make them think it's okay to fail ever, especially with the the mental stuff where they have the option to fight back. Yeah, no, and baseball is a failing game statistically, uh, unless you're a really good pitcher. Uh, <laughs> but if you're if you're a hitter, I mean, the odds are stacked against you, and you're going to fail more than uh, you're going to succeed, especially uh, as you get ho- as you get older. So it's those players that go over three that fourth at bat is just as solid as their first at bat. You know, it's those players that are in an zero for ten skid, but that those 10 at bats, they're still finding, you know, five to six barrels. Like that's what coaches look for. Coaches want to see, at least at the college level, if you boot a ball, let me go see what that next at bat is and, you know, the, the bottom frame of the inning or whatnot, right? Are you going to let it compound and take three pitches, right, and let things kind of get out of control? Or are you just going to flush it, realize that's in the past, and then you're going to have a really good competitive at bat. Um, I've had a lot of guys actually say that literally to me. I'd rather watch a kid and, and scout a kid on a day that he's over three with three Ks than he is with than he is, you know, rather than he's three for three with three doubles. And, and I thought that was so true. Mm-hmm. And in the college game, especially right, you, you deal with tough guys, even at good high school, right? At a good high school program, they want to see you on your worst days and see how you're battling the beast of the game that uh that baseball is yeah couldn't agree more so you're at diamond nation could you get jack cussed on this podcast <laughs> oh uh junior uh i don't know that's a good question i, I used to hit with him when i was like really young um he's a great guy uh obviously had a ton of success but yeah i mean i i, I can certainly try um, but, but no promises we'll send him a crate yeah Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, again, really good guy. Glad he had success. It's good Good for Jersey baseball. We have a few guys um, there. I mean, I know um, buddy that I played with at Rockers is up there uh, with the Reds. Obviously, Todd Frazier is our, um, is our, is our 
golden child of, of, uh, oh, yeah. of Rutgers baseball. He, oh, yeah. He's had a good career. Uh, I mean, I'll try. I'll try my best. But again, no, uh, no promises. <laughs> I went to a Reds game this weekend. Uh, who's your buddy? Um, so Brian O'Grady. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was actually – heard the name. Yeah, he was just called up like probably a month ago. Uh, he's been sprinkling in some at-bats. Um, but then the other kid, uh, one, one kid's up with the Yankees, so Mike Ford. So he's a Princeton, uh, New Jersey kid. So I played with him over at uh, Diamond Nation growing up. And, like, he is, like, the classic. Like, doesn't matter who he's facing, doesn't matter what's going on in the game. <laughs> he's always going to have a, a ridiculously good approach at the plate, and he just puts the barrel on everything like not not that fast of a dude not that athletic and when you're in the big leagues and you're not that athletic you got to have an unbelievable <laughs> sense of the batter's box and, and being a professional hitter and that's exactly what yeah he's, yeah and, and what he's I've, I've watched him a little bit and he does always look kind of in control up there very relaxed and just poised yeah yeah for a young kid in pinstripes with how cool common collective he is it's pretty uh it's pretty crazy but no, really good for him yeah he's playing for the yankees and i'm here uh you know co- coaching so we're still involved in the game just at much different uh much different magnitudes cool cool all right i think we're gonna hop into our little quick pitch questions uh to, to finish up here but it's been fun thus far sounds good um we got a three for you first one in what's your favorite baseball book <laughs> baseball book and if not baseball motivational business whatever oh um i think principles is a really good book i mean that more so relates to my professional career uh but it does talk it principles is basically two chapters one's work principles and one's life principles so life principles is is really about dealing with adversity and and to what you had said earlier, controlling what you control. And then the work principles is how do you set yourself up to have a successful career and, and work with people that you like working with and, and whatever that work that you're doing is having a meaningful impact on either your clients or whoever you're serving. So I would say principles is, is a really good Ray, Ray Dalio? Ray Dalio, yes. I, read that yep. I like that. Yeah, no, it's good. Very good. Uh, so, but sorry, it's not a baseball. <laughs> That's hey. No, it'll apply. I'm not a big reader myself. On the last podcast, I said my favorite baseball book was actually a documentary. <laughs> so it was close we just, enough. We just love baseball, right? Life is right. easier when it's just about baseball. <laughs> cool. Um, second one would be what is the biggest challenge baseball has given you or you've been faced with in baseball? Uh, no, another bomb. Um, another bombs in quick pitch. Uh, Fingers. Yeah, baseball's a game. I mean, it, it's so crazy. It's you know, when you're in the batter's box, you feel like you have so much control and in, in, in the result, and you can dictate so much of what happens, but you really can't. You can't control what the umpires call, and you can't control what the pitchers throw, and you can't control how good the shortstop and the outfielders are, right? So I think that part of the game is the most frustrating. But at the same time, that that's part of the grind, and that's what you that's what you sign up for. But I would say that that is the most frustrating. There's so much that goes on with the game that you can't control, and it's just uh, it's just accepting that. And I, I wish I accepted that earlier rather than later. But that's so just true. how it uh, goes. <laughs> it's it's almost always too late when you realize things like that. But 
that was the same I know, thing. I know. But uh, that's what that's that's why we got to tell yeah. our players, you know. I agree. All right, third one. What is the one tip you would give a high school player trying to play at the next level? Honestly, probably repeat what what we what we were just talking about. Don't be afraid to make a mistake, mm-hmm. and don't get so caught up in in the future or where you're going or who's looking at you and so forth. I think that's probably like the biggest epidemic with high school kids is that they get so caught up in either the recruitment process or they're getting caught up in being afraid to make a mistake, you know, for their high school team or so forth. I I think that would be the biggest uh, thing I, I would tell all these kids. Don't be afraid. Just play the game. This is the same game you've always played. And the quicker that you can start playing like that and playing, you know, we call it like playing like a dog out there, you know, rather than, than somebody who's just hesitant. I swear to God, you'll be successful. You play multiple years of high school baseball. And when that happens, you'll typically play in college. So that's what. Uh, Focus on your next at bat listeners, not max preps. At Coastal, it was uh, so what next pitch. So that would, um, so that would certainly relate to, to that, to that. Yeah, I love that. Well. Awesome. Well, there's been a lot of good information in here, Chris. Uh, I think coaches will have some good takeaways. Players will have some good takeaways. Um, but And I really appreciate you, you hopping on with us here and, and chatting a little bit about ball. No problem. No, always a pleasure. I look forward to, uh, to staying in touch with you guys and, and awesome what you guys are doing. It's an awesome way um, for coaches – you know, obviously to get familiar with the game and, and most importantly relating to their players and how do we, uh, you know, spread the message of whatever try, we're trying to coach mm-hmm. to the player. I think Coach Crates is a really good, really good way to do that and, and hope to, uh, again, keep, keep in touch with you guys and, and best wishes. Uh, Definitely. Thank you. Um, where can people find out more about you? Do, do you uh, – What's your at, man? I tweet uh, not a ton. I, I tweet about baseball here and there. Um, so yeah, so it's uh, so it's actually Suzer underscore Ensalada. Uh, it's a Twitter <laughs> handle from way long ago. But no, I, I do tweet a lot about baseball. So would love to uh, stay connected with obviously anybody from Coach Crates, but really more importantly, anybody who, who loves the game as much as us. Awesome. Uh, it'll be part of my life forever. So so yeah, would love to connect with uh, with anybody. Real quick, what did you think of the players' weekend uniforms? Trash? Uh, trash, no. I think it's awesome for the game. I, again, the baseball purists probably hate it, but, you know, let's call it what it is. You know, baseball is, is trying to appeal to the uh, to the younger than millennial. I don't even know what generation below us. Um, and, I yeah, I think it's a good way to do it. Add some flair. It puts some faces to names on these guys and – yeah, my favorite's El Mago, so Javi, Javi Baez. I can watch him play oh, yeah. play, play baseball all day, every day. Uh, no, I, I like it. I, I am bullish <laughs> on uh, players. Uh, I'll I tell you guys? what. Players weekend, love it. The uniforms were so neutral for me yeah. that I was kind of like, I just felt neutral really? about it. But, I mean, cool. You got to experiment every year with some new, new cool stuff and – that's what they're doing, so I can't hate on that. I don't oh, think I they it. went far enough. Like, like far the, enough. the black and white was too bland for me. I liked all the gear, 
they got to have cool bats, That's cool fair. cleats. I, I agree with yeah. that too. I, I yeah, the whites were kind of tough. Um, yeah, I didn't love those. I did like Blacks the all black were, though. I, my Blacks favorite part of the weekend was the, was the bats. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I thought the bats, bats were, were sick. Like yeah, with like the country flags and stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought it was awesome. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> go Yanks, go Yanks. Yeah. <laughs> There, there are too many cool colorways in the MLB to just have all black and all white. I know. And just call it wild. a day. I wonder why they did yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So, some, somebody smart in their marketing department <laughs> came up with it. So we'll, uh, oh, yeah. we'll just have to trust it. It's above our pay grade. Yes, exactly. All right. Chris Susek, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us about baseball. Obviously, you got a great story, and we wish you the best of luck outside of baseball and in the coaching realm. Awesome. Dave, Quinn, appreciate it. Thanks again. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, that was episode three of Dugout Therapy um, from college ball to coaching with Chris Susek, uh, from former Coastal Carolina player and Rutgers player now coach um a lot of great stuff it was a blast um we thank him so much for being on um now we just ask you guys if you enjoyed this and want uh to learn more and want to help other coaches and players please leave us a review and and leave us some feedback on itunes um at dugout therapy um we really appreciate it all feedback is good feedback we're trying to get one percent better every day so Appreciate you guys leaving feedback on there and connect with us. Go on our website, check us out at www.coachcrates.com or at any of our social medias at Coach Crates, at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Engage. And engage. And we want to talk to you. Leave us a message, shoot us a tweet, shoot us a message, whatever it is, and we'll talk baseball. Thanks, guys, for listening. Have a good one.